we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash gold in my early days i faced a pivotal moment in my career instead of following the herd into traditional finance i charted my own course despite skepticism i founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility through perseverance i established myself as a leading voice in finance proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed to get what you want sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail that's what harry's did seeing people tricked by expensive razors harry's took a stand Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harris.com slash gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. The carnage in global stock and bond markets continues. It really got started last night in Japan, where the JGB, Japanese government bonds, dropped for the third consecutive day. It's the biggest three-day drop in bond prices in Japan in over three years. So yields surging along with the Japanese yen. And, of course, this is not supposed to be happening because they're doing more stimulus, right? They're printing more money, and they've got negative interest rates, yet the Japanese yen is appreciating anyway. You know, the Reserve Bank of Australia also came out last night and cut interest rates to 1.5%. That is an all-time record low. Now, why did they do that? Is it because there's not enough economic growth in Australia? You know, are they trying to revive uh, a property uh, market that's in the slumps? No. I mean, they've got a bubble uh, in the real estate market. There's no valid reason for the Reserve Bank to be cutting interest rates from already uh, ridiculously low levels, although I guess not when you compare it to some of the other countries that are even lower or are negative. But the actual reason that the Reserve Bank of Australia gave for the rate cut was that inflation was not high enough. It's about 1% the way they measure it, and their goal is to have it between 2 and 3%. So in other words, the cost of living is going up by about 1% a year, and the Reserve Bank of Australia says, that's horrible. This is terrible. We need to do something about this. We need to make sure that things get at least 2 to 3% more expensive this year, and we're going to slash interest rates to make sure that happens. And of course, when you do that, 
you have all sorts of risks. I mean, this is a huge risk to take. And for what? What is the payoff? That you make the cost of living go up 2 to 3%? Why is that better than the cost of living going up 1%? I mean, what's wrong with the cost of living not going up at all? How about if it actually went down? What if people could actually buy the things that they need for less money? What if standards of livings actually went up? I mean, what's horrible about that? But of course, the real risk is, what if inflation goes from 1%, right? At least the way they measure it in Australia. What if it goes up to 4 or 5%? Was it worth it? Now, what do you have to do? Now you got an inflation problem on your hands. Now you have to bring the rate back down. I mean, how high are interest rates going to have to go? I mean, why take the gamble? I mean, if you got 1% and your goal is 2%, I mean, you're close enough. I mean, why not say, hey, you know, we got it under control. Why not take credit for low inflation? Obviously, this has got nothing to do with inflation. They're simply trying to stop the rise in the Australian dollar. They're trying to throw fuel on this bubble. But you know what? The Australian dollar went up anyway. It was up better than 1% against the U.S. dollar. So they're trying to keep it down because they have this Keynesian uh, worldview that a weak currency is good and a strong currency is bad. And so they're trying to suppress their currency. But we've got to an inflection point where the central banks are losing this battle because the yen is rising despite the efforts to suppress it. The Aussie dollar went up despite their efforts to suppress it. The problem is the U.S. economy is a disaster. You know, we got the terrible GDP numbers. I spoke about them in the video blog podcast that I did over the weekend. Maybe we're continuing to have a delayed reaction to that. But we got a lot more bad economic news that came out this week in the last couple of days. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But meanwhile, we got a lot more bad news coming out later in the week. I mean, we might get a horrific report on non-farm payrolls. You know, we got that surprise good number last month. But who knows? We might revise that down and then come up with another disappointing number on Friday. But the Fed, instead of acknowledging this, These idiots are still talking about rate hikes. In fact, there was a Fed official on just yesterday, and when he was interviewed, all he said was, well, you know, the market shouldn't be ruling out the possibility of a rate hike. You know, if the economy comes roaring back, uh, you know, we might hike rates, which, of course, is so ridiculous, because first of all, if the economy comes roaring back, I mean, there's no chance that's going to happen. Right. But even if it comes roaring back, they didn't say they would raise interest rates. They said they might which also means they might not, which, of course, they wouldn't because it doesn't even matter what happens to the economy because they can't raise rates. But, of course, the economy is not getting better. The economy is getting worse. We are either in recession or on the cusp of one about to enter one. And the data continues to prove that, but they continue to talk as if they're thinking about raising rates. And that is part of the problem because if the market doesn't believe the Fed is coming to the rescue, I said a long time ago that we could get rallies in the markets, but they're not going to be sustainable because the Federal Reserve is going to have to join this party. The Federal Reserve is going to have to come to the aid of the markets with new stimulus. Just delaying the rate hikes aren't going to do it. Right? They actually need to deliver more stimulus. The Fed has to be in the game. The Fed has to join the other central banks in providing fresh stimulus, which means they got to cut rates. They got to go back to quantitative easing. And until they acknowledge that, 
the markets are never going to be able to make much headway. Of course, all of that is counterproductive to the real economy. The last thing the real economy needs is more money printing. But of course, the the politicians are never going to allow uh, the real economy to heal because they're too concerned uh, with financial assets and bubbles and the wealth effect and propping up insolvent governments. But look at some of the news that came out today. I talked about this uh, on my last uh, the video blog. Uh, more bad news today coming out of the auto sector on weakening auto sales. General Motors stock down over 4%, 4.4% today. Ford down 4.3%. And Fiat Chrysler, you know, that was down 4% as well. So pretty much 4% across the board on the auto companies. But, you know, the carnage was worse in the retailers. Look at Nordstrom's was down uh, 7%. Kohl's was down 8%. Macy's was down 7.25%. The retailers, again, are getting clobbered. They're coming out with, with bad numbers. Uh, what, I, what, I thought the consumer was supposedly back. I mean, did anybody uh, listen to the speeches at the Democratic National Convention about how strong the economy is and how strong the consumer is? In fact, we got U.S. personal uh, income and spending numbers out today, and incomes are rising now at the slowest pace since 2013. And it's not like they were rising rapidly uh, three years ago either, but it's now even slowing down. Spending is still holding up. I think it's spending on necessities. Where are they getting the money? They're borrowing it because they don't have the incomes. The saving rate now is down at 5.3%. That's the lowest it's been uh, since March of 2014. So better than a two-year low. This is not good news. Incomes are stagnant. Debt is rising. Savings are plunging. Meanwhile, Consumers aren't going to the department stores because look at the prices plunging. They're not uh, they're not buying cars as much because now auto sales are down. So what w- what is going on here? Obviously, this economy is rapidly decelerating, and nobody wants to acknowledge it. And even more, I think, dangerous for the markets is the bond market was also down today. I mean, it, it finished off the lows, but the Treasury market got hit pretty hard. And I think it wasn't until oil sold off again. In fact, oil ended up down below $40 a barrel. We're about thirty nine fifty. I mean, we had made it all the way up to uh, about $50 a barrel, and now we're back below 40 Why is the price of oil plunging? Again, it's because of the weakness in the global economy, particularly in in the United States, but also in Europe and Japan. And this is despite despite all this money printing, which, of course, is part of the problem. But 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 these Keynesian fools still don't understand what the problem is or if they understand it. The last thing they want to do is acknowledge it. And so we're going to have to get more stimulus. Of course, gold prices continue to rise on the weaker than expected economic data. And the weak, uh, the weak dollar. Gold finished up about ten dollars, a little over ten dollars, thirteen sixty-two eighty. It was a bit higher. I mean, I think I saw it about as high as maybe thirteen sixty-six. Silver continues to move higher. I think it closed at twenty fifty-seven, up seventeen cents. Dollar index getting clobbered, barely holding on to a ninety-five handle. We were down sixty-six on the day, ninety-five oh six dollar week. Across the board, British pound, too, finally starting to show some strength as if it has put in a bottom. I want to go over the other uh, the other economic news that has come out over the last couple of days, because in general, it's all been weak. Yesterday, we got weaker than expected news on construction spending. Uh, They were looking for up six tenths 
and instead we got down six tenths. So we got the mirror image of what they were looking on construction spending. I think that's a couple, you know, second month in a row uh, that that number has been down. Uh, the ISM manufacturing number came out weaker than expected as well. They were looking for 53.2. We got 52.6. Uh, so all this news continue to come out uh, showing the economy is not rebounding to the extent that people expect. In fact, if you look at that ISM manufacturing number, the weakest component was the employment uh, part, which slipped from expansion to contraction. That is not a good sign uh, for the non-farm payroll number that we're going to get on Friday. Of course, we will get the ADP employment report out tomorrow, uh, which gives a little bit of an advanced look. Uh, But um, the, the real number that everybody tends to react to is the official number that we get from the government, which, of course, you know, they revise these numbers so dramatically uh, from month to month. Why they even pay any attention to the original estimate at this point doesn't make any sense. But it's just, you know, that's all they trade on. There's no real fundamentals anymore. It's just based on what people think the Fed is going to do. And they think the Fed is going to do something based on what these numbers are. Eventually, they're going to figure out it doesn't matter what the numbers are because the Fed is powerless to do anything. And and in fact, the only thing they're going to do is cut rates and, and launch QE4. The only question is, when are they going to admit that? Because the last thing they want to do is admit that the economy is weak because they don't want to admit Donald Trump is right. They want to pretend the economy is strong. And it's hard to do that when you're cutting rates and, and doing more quantitative easing. But the problem the Federal Reserve is going to have is that if it keeps up that pretense until the election, they risk crashing the stock market before the election. And if the stock market crashes before the election, then, you know, Trump's going to win. I mean, it's very difficult. I think you have a pretty good historical connection between the performance of the stock market in the months leading up to an election and the outcome of the election. The incumbent party is always always benefits from a strong stock market, and the party that's not in power always benefits from a weak market. And so they really want to keep the stock market propped up. And in order to do that, they're going to have to do something when it comes to stimulus. But it's going to be difficult to stimulate the economy while trying to talk about how great the economy is. Again, my prediction is if they do it, they're going to blame it on weakness abroad. And they're going to say it's kind of like an inoculation. We don't really need we're not sick, but we're going to just inoculate ourselves against you know, a contagion coming in from abroad. And that way they can kind of try to save face. They can have their cake and eat it, too. Yes, the economy is strong, but we're going to do stimulus just in case because we just want to be, you know, protect ourselves in case some bad foreign economic policy, you know, case it comes washing up on our shores. Also, I didn't mention some of the weakest stocks were the banks again, particularly the European banks. Most of the ones I looked at were down four or five percent today, uh, getting into the vicinity of the lows for the year. So they've surrendered the entire, you know, post Brexit, more stimulus, uh, euphoric kind of short covering bounce. And now the markets are heading back down again. And we're going to see, you know, if the central banks are going to sit back and allow this bubble to deflate or whether or not they're going to do something to try to fill it back up with air. But again, you know, I don't think the Japanese central bank can do it. I don't think the ECB can do it. It's going to take the short lady, right? She's going to have to start singing rate cuts. She's going to have to start singing QE, something. 
right? They're going to have to ease that rhetoric, maybe even at least acknowledge that they now have a bias to the easing, right? That they no longer are even thinking about hiking rates, given the, uh, the trajectory of the economy. You know, that might help, but I, I don't even think that's big enough. I think they really got to fire the bazooka. They got to actually do something. I don't know that talking about cutting rates at this point is going to be enough. They have to actually do it because they talked about raising rates for so long and didn't do it. They may not have any more credibility based on their, their rhetoric. They might actually have to have actions. You know, actions speak louder than words. And I think the Federal Reserve might find that out the hard way. And speaking about gold, Gold Money finally uh, launched their new website. They are rebranding the company. Remember, originally the company was called BitGold, and then BitGold went and purchased Gold Money, which was the company that was founded by Jim Turk. And then they changed the name of the company from BitGold to Gold Money, but they still maintained that BitGold uh, logo. There was the BitGold.com website. Well, no more. Everything has been rebranded as one company. It's now uh, Gold Money, so BitGold is no more. In fact, everything that used to exist, I guess, under uh, the BitGold heading is now just basically part of Gold Money Personal. So gold money has now been split up into three separate businesses. There's gold money personal, gold money business, and gold money wealth. And part of gold money wealth is gold money uh, physical, which is going to be shift gold. I mean, that's where shift gold is going to fit in. We're going to be part of that wealth component, helping individuals uh, accumulate uh, physical precious metals as part of the the wealth component. The personal component is where you have your gold-based uh, uh, payment system, where you have an account in gold that you can use uh, to spend. You can you know give gold away. You can uh, you can spend it if you're a businessman. You can invoice your customers in gold. Right, all that is part of uh, Big Gold Personal. Although for the businessman, it's part of Big Gold Business. So I jumped ahead of myself. For the business, if you want to invoice your customers in gold, then you do that through Big Gold Business. But if you want to have gold to pay, if you want to be able to use gold to buy things, uh, then you're doing that with Big Gold Personal. That's also where the gold back prepaid uh, debit cards are going to be issued uh, from uh, Gold Money Personal. So. BitGold uh, is no more. It's now Gold Money is the one name for the company. And now I think it's going to be a lot less confusing for people because before, you know, they wouldn't know what I was talking about. Is this BitGold? Is it Gold Money? So it's just Gold Money. And now, you know, people won't think of it as a, a digital currency. You know, I had um, somebody tried to wire some money from my bank to Gold Money, but on the wire, it said BitGold and the wire wouldn't go through because the banking system looked at the word BitGold and they thought it was a cryptocurrency and they didn't want to have anything to do with it. I mean, the cryptocurrencies are still very difficult for banks to deal with because of anti-money laundering. A lot of the banks are afraid of getting involved with cryptocurrencies. And I, I didn't like the fact that a lot of people confuse gold money with, let's say, Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin and gold money have absolutely nothing in common. I mean, they have some things in common in that they're easy to spend on the Internet. But gold money is actual money because there's actually gold there. And, you know, you have basically like a, a you're able to spend your 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 gold digitally. Speaking of Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency is having a bit of a crash today. There was a hack of an exchange that trades Bitcoin in Hong Kong. 
Bitfinex. Apparently, the thief got away with $90 million worth of Bitcoin. I guess that was before the price plunged. The lowest I saw was 465, and that was down better than 23% on the day. Now, the cryptocurrency has since rebound since that collapse. I mean, as I'm recording this, it's only down about 14%. It's recovered uh, the 500 mark back up to 521. I have no idea where the currency might be trading when anybody gets around to listening to this podcast. But this is huge volatility. You know, Bitcoin prices rose as high as 700, a little higher than 700 last month. And so this collapse is better than 30%, maybe 35% uh, from there in a month. Obviously, anything that valuable really can't uh, circulate as money. Uh, People trying to say, oh, Bitcoin is the new gold. It's not. It is a highly speculative asset at best. And at worst, it's not an asset at all because it has no value. It's interesting, you know, because a lot of people in Britain were buying Bitcoin ahead of the Brexit vote to protect themselves. And originally, maybe they looked a little prescient because there was a big increase in the pound price of Bitcoin. But at this point, Anyone who bought Bitcoins worried about Brexit, if they still have those Bitcoins, they'd be better off if they stayed in the pound. Of course, the one thing that they should have done if they really were worried was bought gold because the price of gold continues to rise in all currencies, but it's especially higher in terms of the British pound. So if people in Britain had simply put their pounds into gold using the gold money platform instead of buying a cryptocurrency on an exchange online, they would have done a much better job of preserving their purchasing power than those who speculated with digital currency. You know, in fact, they refer to gold money. You know, they keep talking about it, how it's the world's best performing currency. And the reality of it is it's, it's the only money, right? Gold is money. Everything else is a money substitute. The idea is that currency is supposed to be backed by, by gold. That's where the original currency came from. It came from, you know, a blacksmith would hold your gold and he would give you an IOU for the gold. And you could that IOU could circulate as a substitute for the actual money. And that became currency. Now, the idea of fiat currency was just a currency that was backed by nothing. But in a real currency is backed by something and it's backed by gold. But currency makes it easier uh, to spend gold, to negotiate gold. Because rather than having to carry around bars of gold, you can have pieces of paper that you can fold up and put in your wallet. But as long as everybody knows the gold is there, uh, then people that you're dealing with will be willing to accept the, the currency instead of the gold because they know they can get the gold. Well, the beauty of gold money is that it makes currency obsolete because by leaving your gold at gold money, you can spend your actual gold as easily as if they gave you a currency, but you don't have a currency. You're just you're just you're just actually transferring a little bits of your gold ownership directly to a counterparty, but just as conveniently as if you had given them, you know, a piece of paper. Anyway, if you haven't already checked it out, you can see the new website at goldmoney.com. And by the way, you know, Shift Gold, I am expecting to be doing a lot more business, uh, not only because 
the price of gold is rising because as the price of gold and silver go up, obviously we get more interest in the market. Uh, that's always the way it is. People want to buy things that are going up. And so now that gold and silver are going up, they've woken from a three or four year bear market slumber. We're back in the bull market. I think we're going to see sales picking up considerably over at Shift Gold. But I think particularly because of the merger with gold money, I think gold money is going to be able to help direct a lot of additional business to Shift Gold. Ultimately, I think that uh, gold money through Shift Gold is going to end up being uh, the world's largest retailer of physical precious metals. And so we need to staff up. I need to hire some more people uh, to help work uh, with our customers at Shift Gold. We only have one office right now, and it is in Manhattan. So in order to work for me at Shift Gold, you got to be able to work out of the New York office. So you got to live in the New York area, or you got to be willing to relocate. Uh, to New York. But if you are interested, if you have some sales experience, right, if you're if you listen to these podcasts and you believe in uh, precious metals, you believe in gold and silver and you think you can articulate uh, that uh, to uh, to prospective clients and clients. And, you know, obviously we can teach you a little bit more about the metal market, uh, train you a bit. Uh, but certainly if you have had experience in metals that that's even better but anyway if you're interested you can send us your resume send it to info at shiftgold.com i-n-f-o at shiftgold.com now on a negative note i did want to uh discuss uh our old not friends uh, enemies <laughs> i guess uh nemesis maybe i don't know what the word for them is uh, but uh, the guys over at the National Inflation Association, they've been quiet for a while, obviously, because they wiped out so many people that were following uh, their pump and dump schemes. But they have been laying a foundation uh, earlier this year as the gold market started to move up. They started to throw out a couple of recommendations of legitimate gold stocks, kind of laying a foundation for a new round of pump and dumps. And they've been coming fast and furious into my email box for the last month or two, and they've been going from one pump and dump scheme to another. Uh, they're not quite the same as their old pump and dump schemes where they would buy a huge position in a, you know, in a stock, a little penny stock up in up in Canada. They would accumulate a position. Then they would go pump it up. They would tell all their subscribers how great this stock is. It's the greatest stock in the world. You're going to get rich. All you have to do is buy it. You know, we like it so much. We own a bunch of it ourselves. Yes, they owned a bunch of it themselves because they bought up the float uh, early on uh, and then they pump it up. And when their their subscribers start to buy it, they eventually unload their shares. They never tell their subscribers they're selling. Uh, They just dump it and then they go on to the next pump and dump and they leave their subscribers holding the bag. Well, they did that for, you know, several times. And then I think they wiped everybody out and they were out of the game for a while. But again, they're back at it. But now they're doing it a different way. They're not buying the stock themselves and then pumping it up and dumping their shares. They are being paid by companies to pump up their stocks so that the company insiders who paid them can dump their shares. So it's the same strategy. It's still a pump and dump, except they're being paid by third parties to pump up the stocks uh, so a third party can dump it rather than the NIA itself. But the result for the client or the subscriber to their newsletter is still the same thing. 
they they buy a crap company, they overpay for it, and then they get left holding the bag uh, when the bottom drops out. So if you get one of these emails, completely ignore it. In fact, the funniest part about the emails, of course, other than you know the crazy pie in the sky uh, forecast that they make, and of course you can almost. Every single one of their emails is almost the same. You could just cut and paste the different stock. It's the same story, right? No matter what the stock is, it's just they just, you know, cut and paste for their new uh, their new scam. But when you read the disclaimer, this is what they write at the end of each of their of their uh, emails. It says past performance is not an indicator of future returns. You know, in this case it is because past performance is horrible. If you bought any of their prior pump and dumps, and it is indicative of future losses. Of course, they don't want to say that. They, by, by saying that, the inference is that, hey, they've done well in the past and we're not guaranteed to do well in the future. They haven't done well in the past. It's been a disaster in the past, and it will be a disaster in the future. But anyway, here's the rest of their disclaimer. NIA is not an investment advisor and does not provide investment advice. Always do your own research and make your own investment decisions. This message is not a solicitation or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold securities. NIA has been compensated $50,000 cash for a two-month investor relations contract. You know, never make investment decisions based on anything NIA says. Now, that's the only thing that they said that's honest in this whole email. And take their advice. Never make an investment decision based on anything the NIA says. In fact, anything they recommend buying, don't buy it. And then their final, the final sentence is, this message is meant for informational and educational purposes only and does not provide investment advice. Now, that's a lie because it's not for educational purposes because they're not educating you because education implies truthful information. This is about being deceptive. This is a con. This is a scam. So that's a lie. They're not trying to inform you. They're not trying to educate you. They are trying to con you. See, they're hoping that you won't notice uh, the last, uh, you know, the disclosure, the last thing in the email. Instead, you'll read all the crap above it uh, where they write how rich you're going to get if you buy this, you know, this gem that they've discovered, which is the greatest investment that they've ever found in their careers. And, of course, it's some crap company that trades up on the Ventures Exchange in Vancouver, you know, where all the scam companies are. You know, there's so many good quality uh, stocks that they could be recommending. Why do they recommend these crap companies? Because these are the ones they get paid to recommend. But they make it out uh, as if these are they're really doing their research and that they've they've uncovered this this great investment. What bothers me the most though about this whole thing is that all this happens under uh, the eye or the nose of the SEC. They don't care. I mean, this has been going on for years and years and years, at least six years that they've been ripping people off with these obvious and highly public pump and dumps. And they targeted people that used to follow me. I mean, they used to really target, you know, Peter Schiff fans or Jimmy Rogers or or Mark Faber or Ron Paul. Uh, They went after people that they thought would be susceptible to worrying about inflation or about gold, which is why I took it personally that they were trying to rip off so many people uh, by using my name. But the government obviously knows about them, and they couldn't care less. I mean, they can continue to rob people blind, go for these pump-and-dump frauds, and what does the SEC do? What are the cops doing while these criminals are running around? They're not doing anything. You know what the cops are doing? They're harassing the honest investment advisors and brokers. The SEC spends all of its time, and FINRA spends all of its time, regulating honest brokers. 
right? I mean, the vast majority of brokers are honest. Doesn't mean their investment advice is always going to be good, uh, but at least they're honest. They're not ripping people off. And the irony of all this is, you know, it's the little investor that falls for this, these con schemes. And one of the reasons is because of all the rules and regulations, it's very difficult for a legitimate investment advisor or broker to work with a small investor. If you've only got $5,000, $10,000, nobody can take your money. Nobody can afford that account because it's a money-losing account because the cost of complying, the regulations around having that account are much more than anybody can ever possibly charge the client and still charge a legitimate commission. And so none of the legitimate brokers will work with the small investors. So that leaves the small investors vulnerable to be conned in an investment con, right? Because it's it's only the unscrupulous guys, the fraudsters, right? They're, see, they, they're not going to, you know, sign up and be regulated investment advisors or licensed stockbrokers, right? All the, the, the honest people are abiding by all these ridiculous rules and regulations. It's the crooks who don't have to abide by these rules and regulations that can sucker in all the little guys. But if the government stayed out of it, then the little guys would be able to choose reputable financial advisors. They'd be able to get good financial advice uh, from quality people. But the government has made that impossible. The government has priced good investment advice out of, you know, out of their reach. And so they're just left uh, for the criminals. If we had a free market, the criminals would be out of business. But the government preserves the criminals by preventing the little guy from accessing quality, honest investment advice they're left as sitting ducks for the criminals. But if the government stayed out of it, if we didn't have the SEC, if we didn't have FINRA, if we didn't have all these rules and regulations, then you would have honest brokers competing for these accounts. They would be selling quality advice to the small investor. Instead, the the government basically makes it impossible for the honest guys to go after this market. And so the crooks have the market to themselves. And that is the irony of government. You know, whenever government is out there saying, oh, you know, we're going to protect you. The government doesn't protect anybody. The best protection the consumer has is a free market. And anything the government does to make the market less free makes the consumer less safe. Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.